Okay, welcome David to No Excuses Real Inspiration, hosted by myself, Scott Marshall. So thank you for giving up your time all the way from the US. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on my show. So if you can, just for the audience, just give a brief intro of who you are and what you currently do. Oh, thank you, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today. My name's David. I'm over in California. What I do is I used to be a personal trainer. I used to be a fitness director for a large corporate gym chain over here in California. I kind of got out of that. And now I do life coaching. I do health coaching. And I'm also a public speaking coach. Okay, that's pretty cool. So you have lots of experience there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I'm just going to dive right in and just ask you, so what made you made, make the jump from, you know, stop being a PT and fitness director and into what you're doing now? I was a personal trainer. I got into that because I live with a neurological muscle wasting disease. It's called charcot Mary tooth disease. It's in the peripheral nervous system. Okay. From the elbow down and from the knee down, it causes the muscles to waste away. Because of that, I decided to become a personal trainer. And I eventually got into the administrative aspect of it and became a fitness director. And the reason I moved away from the fitness industry being deep into directing and administrating it was really forced out with the serious auto accident in 2016. I wasn't able to return to work. I wanted to go back, but I was kind of alienated with the industry. Okay. Because from my perspective, there was a lot of promotion and selling of products instead of caring for people. Yeah. And that's the perspective I, I got when I, and, and I really didn't see that until I was able to stand back and view it from being bedridden, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And I really wanted to focus on how do you really motivate people? What inspires them and what's going on in their mind? to move them to make changes in their life. And that's how I got into life coaching because I appreciate that in order for somebody to change, they really have to take a, a look at what the reality is of their life first. Yeah, totally. And it starts with me. It started with, in regards to working with clients is and myself, my own personal story is you have to make a choice. It starts there. Yeah. And, it, and it's not rooted in all these cliches in which we, which we hear in the fitness industry. You hear things like chase your dreams. You hear things such as remember your why. Remember the guy who quit. Nobody else does either. We hear these these things from influencers designed to seduce them 
and to products and services rather than a real substantial change in their life. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you made the decision to become a personal trainer with your mm -hmm. disease. So were you born with this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hereditary. Yeah. Um, so growing up, you know, going through, you know, middle school, high school, um, how, how did you cope with that? I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, it was, it was horrible experience for me. I had to wear leg braces to help me walk. And I still occasionally use those. I, I use a walker and a cane, depending on the day. In school, I was the guy who was getting picked up and thrown against the wall, the guy stuffed in the locker, put in the trash can, being tripped on the soccer field, being called a stupid cripple. So in, in my home life was not any better. Lots of dysfunction there. There was no stability in the home. So when I was 16, I was removed from my home by government agency and put in the foster care system. Okay. And obviously, so, you know, you, you made the decision to become a personal trainer. What mm -hmm. age did you do that? I was, I was in my late twenties. Yeah. Uh, approaching 30. I was, I started out in the financial industry. I began as a bank teller, worked my way up to operations, started working out because it felt good. I was doing a lot of research and I was learning about how my body worked and in connection with my disability. And I found that exercise was a great treatment for my physical disabilities. So I left the final or the financial financial industry and decided to go into the fitness industry. Yeah. And for yourself, how long were you involved with health and fitness? About six years, five or six years. Yeah. Before I was forced out. Okay. And so given, you know, you're still trained to this day, do you still do any sort of exercise oh, yeah, i'm coming off leg day right now ah good <laughs> right okay so if you don't mind me david um asking you how old are you i'm 44 years old okay right so let's put it in another perspective your training age what age do you actually feel oh i feel great man i feel great of course i have my bad days yeah because there is a chronic illness there there's no way around that yeah but uh, working out has definitely helped that for sure. Yeah. And if you were to put a number on that, so do you feel like you're maybe in your 20s, 30s? There's some days where I feel like I can conquer the world. <laughs> yeah. There's other do. days where I have to be realistic and, and really be mindful of how I'm feeling. Listen yeah. to my body. Okay. And, you know... Obviously, you know, you're now you're doing life coaching, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that the only job you do just now? 
Yeah, I do that. I do that about, I'd say, 80% of the time. Okay. I do have a couple training clients that I still train online. Yeah. And there's a, there's a few speaking clients that I have that I help them develop their communication skills. No, fantastic. And obviously, how do you fit in your own fitness routine around that schedule? Do you make it non-negotiable that you, you've got your own training days or training times? Well, absolutely, Scott. Working out is, is not an option. It, it has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> the, research, the research says that movement and exercise, physical therapy is a treatment for the disability I live with. And then NIH strongly recommends exercise for individuals with my disability. It's, I'll, I re- recently read a book called Man's Search for Meaning, an existential psychologist by the name of Viktor Frankl. And he survived the concentration camp. And what makes his perspective unique is that he's a psychiatrist, was a psychiatrist. And he actually pioneered and founded the School of Existentialism and Psychiatry. He said that when a man is, when everything is taken from a man, his wife, his kids, his house, his home, his dignity, everything, even the shirt off his back. He only has one thing left, a choice, either to live or to die. That was the choice. And he said that the group in the camps knew when a man gave up. Okay. As he was, sit, he was laying in his bed under threats, being beaten by the guard, pissing on himself, crapping on himself. And he decided that he was going to die. And he was dead within one or two days. That was his choice. It was a common thing. Or they would run the gate and get mowed down by bullets. They made a free choice to end their life. That's crazy. It's a choice. Yeah. And the, the question I ask myself since reading that book which I think I was doing unconsciously, but now I think it's in a, into conscious awareness is that what would you do if all you had left was a choice? That's all you had left is a choice. What would you do? And what would that decision be? Yeah. Uh, you know, that puts things into perspective, you know, when mm-hmm. you look at it, you know, from that angle, mm-hmm. you know, it, actually opens up so many avenues mm-hmm. because we, on you go on you go we make choices every day don't we yeah and we don't view them as important they they're really reflective or not reflective but reflexive they come from somewhere that isn't conscience yeah But what happens when you bring choices into conscious awareness and you're really mindful about that? That's how I approach my disability and working out is doing action is the only option. Yeah. What are the consequences of or the consequences of not making that choice? Sure is not a good one. No, you're got, you know, you're. 
effectively, you know, you're going to put yourself into negative uh, thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, your your body's just going to react to this. You know, you know the the thing is, if we train every day, you know, your body adjusts to that. But mm-hmm. if you just suddenly mm-hmm. stop doing it, your body gets used to that, and then when you eventually go back to working out, you're going to be very tired very easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's the key issue in there. Mm-hmm. consistency mm-hmm. and I got out of I got out of the fitness industry because I don't think the model in which they operate is true yeah because existentially we we should move in a direction to good health and wholeness of being reducing deception along that path and I don't think we can acquire that within the industry. No, obviously, you know, like you said, you know, you have big, big companies, you know, wanting to sell so many supplements, etc. Mm-hmm. you know, their own personal brand, you know, and mm-hmm. it's not about the person. It's, it's about the money. <laughs> yeah. And it's becoming more obvious as the as time passes. Yeah. from my perspective anyway Absolutely. because what at the lowest level scott if we think about it health comes from the word heal yeah. from the latin which means cover or hide away right at the lowest level health isn't about a product or service it's about the individual yeah. it's 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 an avoidance goal A lot of times the fitness industry presents health as something we're moving toward. But in my opinion, it's just not true. We're not moving toward anything. What we're doing is we're avoiding biological catastrophe. We work out at the lowest level. I'm talking about deep within the individual. We're not wanting to die. We're avoiding cancer. We're avoiding other chronic illnesses such as diabetes. Yeah. So at the root, health is avoidance of biological catastrophe and self-preservation. Yeah, totally. And, you know, for yourself, David, obviously you've worked in the health and fitness industry. You mentioned supplements earlier. Um, so what's your nutrition like obviously you've left health and fitness but now you're mm-hmm. doing something totally different mm-hmm. yeah my health coaching involves the the whole person yeah. but, and certainly exercise and nutrition is a variable and all that and my personal nutrition is uh, pretty good i'd say yeah and my son and i are working on a bulking program right now which basically is meat meat and potatoes and vegetables <laughs> and a lot of it <laughs> yeah and obviously you mentioned that you you've just finished leg day today uh-huh. okay so what's your favorite post-workout snack or drink i i love post-workout because i can eat pop tarts and moon pies and cookies <laughs> with my protein shake because as you know is 
you have to have some type of simple sugar molecule in your system to transport the protein for structural repair to the muscles that you just did micro damage to. Right. So I, 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 my favorite flavor is peanut butter, chocolate, protein shake. Um, I like, like I said, the sugars, the pop tarts, the uh, occasionally a donut or candies, because it's so important. Sugar is so important after a workout because the protein is not going to be transported to where it needs to be after your workout if you don't have the sugar to bring it to the muscle. Yeah. So for yourself, David, if you were to have a a cheap meal, you know, within the week, what would that be? (laughs) Yeah, my son and I appreciate cheat days when we're doing it. We're going to go 21 days without it. But when I do do it, it's, you know, it's, there's no rules, man. Order a pizza. Give me a burger, bacon and cheese. I do do it. Because realistically, what you see on TV as far as, the actors look with their bodies shredded like that. I mean, you could just Google it and and see interviews of them talking about that and warning individuals, this is not the appropriate way to, to pursue a health and fitness program is to, is to have uh, aesthetics at the basis because they dehydrate themselves. And and they even mentioned the word starvation and their yeah. program to look like that. I think, uh, remember, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but the film, The, the Machinist. Mm. Um, so he got really, you know, you could actually see every bone in his body and it was, mm. it was so unnatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, I totally get where you're, you're coming from there. Um, but yourself, David, obviously being a, you know, life coach, this is a big topic for, for yourself. So your personal opinion within your job as well. So mental health, what's your perspective on that? With, mental health, mental health I've found is, is so interesting because it's different for everyone, but there are commonalities. And in fitness, there's a principle called individual differences, which Dr. Squat uh, Hatfield uh, brought out in his uh, fitness guide. That's his first law of, of exercise is the principle of individual differences. And it certainly applies to mental health as well. I'll tell you a couple different. I'll mention some clients that I've worked with without revealing who they are is you have, and I'll go back to Viktor Frankl's book of the individual who decided to die, is he mentioned that in most cases, the individual would dig deep down in his pocket and, lie, and, and smoke a cigarette, even though he decided to die. So there was this pursuit of immediate gratification before his death which was interesting. And he talked about something called an existential vacuum, which basically means there's a hole or void that lacks meaning in somebody's life. 
and they they turn to behaviors, uh, specifically drug addiction or other self-destructive behaviors in which they or it's rooted in a lack of meaning in their life. There's no meaningful activity in their life, such as work. There's no meaningful behavior towards other people in, in regards to their deeds. There's no love in their life. They don't have any meaningful relationships in their life. And they don't know how to process or discover meaning in pain and suffering. And I find this to be common in a lot of people who, who choose to overeat or not make wise decision in regards to their life choices is the, is the lack of meaning in their life. There's no, nothing's important to them. They don't see the value in pursuing the things that, that I just discussed. And it's a matter of bringing them to reality and helping them to be conscious or mindful of the, the meaningful things in their life. And, and doing that and helping them to set goals usually brings them uh, back levels amount in those cases. And there's other cases that's really interesting is I had a client whose family was uh, from the East her father came to the United States when, and they had children in the United States. So she, she is American born, but her family immigrated to the United States. She, she became a doctor because her father did and was working with this individual. And the individual started feeling guilty about results. Okay. about the, the, the results and the ambitions of looking good or feeling good. So I, I, I dug deeper, used a very variety of techniques that I use and discovering why. And, and, and during this time, I was reading a book by Alfonso meter which was a student of sigmund freud and an assistant to carl jung who are noted uh, psychologists in history and in there it said that guilt feelings are something that comes up because there's something off with the inner system related to control or direction i thought about that and then there was another part in the book where it talks about you can only help someone as far as you yourself have gone. And I realized I knew nothing about the culture. I knew nothing about Eastern philosophy. So I jumped in and dug in and I came ac across this ancient text within our culture that talked about how actions were important. The responsibilities of life and behaving within those responsibilities are the important part of existence. And everything, the results, the whatever comes from your actions, that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to something higher than you. You can say God's. And I, I saw this and I went back to armed with this information and used some techniques to bring all that to conscious awareness. And we realized there was some conflicting values 
she was educated in the West, a lot of Western philosophy ingrained in her, but growing up, seeing her parents go to temple and her parents uh, involved in the traditions of the East, which was sort of a melding of two different value systems. So we brought that to conscious awareness and we were able to help the, the client appreciate, appreciate both cultures and to be mindful and aware of why she was having those guilt feelings. And I'm happy to say that the client is making excellent progress. Excellent progress. Fantastic. You know, it just goes to show, you know, you know, for yourself there, David, with the client, you know, that that's one thing within health and fitness that a lot of people don't do is do research. Mm-hmm. That, you know, a lot of people just want to make a quick buck, you know, within health and fitness. As you know, I know. And that's what turned me off from it, to tell you the truth. I'm still involved with it. And fitness and health is certainly a huge aspect of the way I approach my clients. It's important to me. And I I hope they view it as important, too. And as you said, the fitness industry, I think it lacks fitness. I, I think it lacks understanding. I think it lacks thinking ability, discernment, insight, all that I think is is missing from the fitness industry. Granted, there are some individuals who are good, but the fitness industry, in my opinion, is broken. Yeah, well, you know, this is why I actually started this podcast back Mm -hmm. in October last year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I've been involved with health and fitness since... 2013 okay since mm-hmm. my, my own weight loss journey but i was thinking last year i'm like you know what i need to change my angle on fitness mm-hmm. so i was like okay how can i do that right i was like let's start a podcast let's talk about real stories real inspiration because mm-hmm. i think there is obviously what you just said there the fitness industry is broken right mm-hmm. okay so can I build a network, right? So for myself, I, you know, I'll give you an example. So if I somebody approaches me, I'm no good at, you know, I don't know. I'll give you an, maybe weightlifting, right? I'll just use that as an example. But okay, however, why don't you go to David? He's fantastic at the weightlifting. You know, why can't mm-hmm. we bounce off each other and you? Mm-hmm you know, we can build a network, but there is a small percentage of people within fitness that just want to make the quick buck that are negative to this environment, that don't want to be in a positive environment, don't want to work with others who are very competitive and think they are the only personal trainer on the planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they want to take it all in themselves. Now, Mm -hmm. we're all a team. We need to work together. It's a business. It's a network. It's all a part of community belonging, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the collective. And I think that is sorely ignored in the fitness industry. There's a book called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker, who wrote in the 1970s. And he said, in order to be something, and and I think someone as well, you have to be securely part of something else. Yeah. It's part of that meaningful connections 
that I, I try to help people understand is, is when you deny that aspect, the collective belonging, you, you seem to contract into yourself. Yeah. Totally. You seem to pluck, you seem to pluck health, health and fitness out of the realities or responsibilities of life. You're taking that out and you're giving it a life of its own. And I think the fitness industry with several different pieces of ideas and philosophies has developed their own kind of conduct as to how that health and fitness should be approached when I think it should be reintegrated into the realities of life and be viewed from that perspective instead of something separate from life. No, totally, David. And for yourself, you, you may say you don't have any, but do you have any bad habits? I do. Okay. I can't, st- I love cookies, man. I love, <laughs> you know, I just want to stuff them in my face. <laughs> okay. So the next subject, we may talk for quite a while because obviously you said you left the fitness industry because of A, B, and C. So mm-hmm. What is your pet hates, the pet peeves, the things you hate to see within health and fitness? Clichés. The banality and the triteness of it all. The unoriginality of it. Uh, uh, let's let's take a, the, a cliché. for. I'll give you an example. Oh, my goodness, it irritates me so much. Is remember your why. How often do we see that posted or individuals with this cliche, you know, God forbid they say something original. Yeah. And in, stu- in studying philosophy and psychology, I discovered that that actually is rooted in something Nietzsche said. And he said, if someone has a why they can bear almost any how. But that expression by Nietzsche was attached to pain and suffering. And Viktor Frankl in his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, applied that to where it should be applied is extreme pain and suffering, to overcome suffering. And to, to, to take that quote from Nietzsche and force it into health and fitness to, to apply to some reason or why you need to eat right and exercise is a gross misapplication of Nietzsche's quote. Yeah. And, you know, for myself, my own pet, pet hates is, you know, you're, you get, <clears throat> excuse me, on, you know, your Instagram, Facebook, your, you know, your influencers who aren't even qualified. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Other cliches like chase your dreams. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Chase your dreams. You're, you're posting a provocative picture of your body and it shows you working out. Muscles are popping everywhere on the screen and you're telling people to chase your dream. Well, my dream isn't to look like that. And, and dreams there's, there's superordinate goals or an optimal abstraction of something that an individual wants, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And the, the caution with that is if you focus on your dreams or you're pursuing a dream or a optimal extraction, a, a superordinate thing, then you start fantasizing about it. You start, your mind goes there and fantasy is a dangerous substitution for the work that absolutely has to happen between the superordinate goal and what, what you want, the work there. Yeah. And that's what we avoid as human beings is we tend to avoid the, the hard work in the middle as Dr. Fishbach talks in her book, get it done is there's a, there, that there's a means, a sub goal that needs to happen in order to reach the superordinate. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you've been training today, David, but if you were to pick one exercise that was your favorite exercise, what would that be? I like to incline press. Incline press. I just have this fascination of not being flat chested up here. (laughs) And Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about that in his encyclopedia of uh, bodybuilding. Yeah. Is you got to do the incline because you want your upper chest to pop, right? Yeah. You want to be flat up there. You have you have boobs <laughs> popping out at the bottom here. And then you're just you can put a pencil across your upper chest. It's I don't know. That's just one of my areas that I enjoy. I like shoulders too, man. I like oh, appreciate yeah. shoulders. Yeah, you, you've got to feel odd and you know. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to get your pump. I do have my vanity thoughts in regards to fitness. (laughs) And what would your idea of your worst exercise be? Oh, legs are tough. Yeah. Because that's where I struggle the most with my disability from the knee down. It causes all sorts of stability issues and balance issues. So getting through a leg day is extremely challenging for me. Yeah. So I would say anything to do with legs apart from the extension and leg curl is just yeah, absolute pain and suffering mentally. (laughs) And for yourself, David, what would you say the one moment would be throughout your journey would be your, your best memory of your fitness journey? I would say competition. Yeah. I would say when I competed uh, from 2013 to 2015 or 16 or 15. So how many competitions did you enter? I've done five competitions and uh, I got first place in my class. I was in the physically challenged division. I I did uh, bodybuilding. Then I switched over to physique because I just couldn't get the legs in. It was tough. Yeah. That was great for me. I appreciate that. It was natural bodybuilding. So I was drug tested before I went on stage. So I wanted to do that specifically because I didn't want my results to be questioned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is quite interesting that you've brought this topic up, but later on, there's some quite interesting questions that you, you love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll keep you intrigued just now. Okay, so for yourself, David, has there been someone in the background who has been a role model for yourself? 
you know, I, I, I didn't have any role models growing up and we touched on my experience earlier in our discussion. So I had really tried, I, I've had trouble even accepting individuals to mentor me. So all my motivation or inspiration came from reading and studying. Yeah. Learning. I would say Arnold's, Arnold Schwarzenegger's thoughts on bodybuilding are pretty much universal in my opinion. He's got a very good perspective and solid base uh, for his opinions. Yeah. And I believe there's a lot of truth in his approach. So I'm, I'm motivated by that. Um, I would say as far as bodybuilding him, of course, yeah. uh, athletes, I really don't have any uh, inspirations with uh, any other in the fitness industry that uh, I'm really inspired by Serena Williams as an yeah. athlete as an athlete and what she has accomplished that's inspiring yeah absolutely it's very inspiring what she's, she's done. a very strong powerful woman mm-hmm. absolutely yeah from what she's achieved within you know tennis mm-hmm. very good inspiration yeah absolutely um you know before her time there wasn't many women that would you know do what she's achieved Mm-hmm. Highest paid female athlete. <laughs> Very good. So I, I used to watch her when I was in my 20s and 30s, and just to see her on the court, just bouncing back and forth and murdering that tennis ball. I was like, is this person even human? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so for yourself, David, obviously. We are halfway through 2022, um, more or less. Do you have any fitness goals for this year? I do. I want to get bigger because I know that's going to get me stronger. Yeah. I want to gain more lean muscle. I want to improve my cardio this year. I've been kind of slack on that, really, tell you the truth. I do like maybe 30 minutes a week. I need to up that. Okay. Honestly, so that's a goal for this year is to up my cardiovascular health, get stronger, improve uh, my mental health. I'm doing that. Yeah. And always moving towards that. So those are my goals. I yeah. don't want to compete again. I think I went, been there, done that. So that yeah. was nice. That was a good experience. And I just uh, want to help more people. Yeah. No, that's good. This year. Um, you know, which brings us on to what makes David unique to others? You know, that's an interesting question because we all want to be unique, right? Yeah. We all want to be stand out and be different, but at the same time, we want to be part of groups. It's, it's an interesting paradox. And I would say what makes me stand out is my perspective on fitness is a little different than your norm. Yeah. I I believe health and fitness is part of the individual's life. Arnold Schwarzenegger was interviewed on a podcast and he was posed the question, why do you still work out? He goes, that's like asking me why I still eat and take a shower and go to sleep. (laughs) And I agree with that perspective. Yeah. 
Health and fitness is not something to obtain some kind of divinity or godship. Yeah. It's it's to better your life. It's to improve yourself. Yeah. And if you do that, you're able to help others as well. So my perspective of fitness is to reintegrate health and fitness into the responsibilities of life. Fantastic. And for your business, David, where would you like to see your business grow in the next three to five years? I would like to have at least 15 to 20 solid clients in the next uh, few years. Uh, Realistically, that's probably all I can handle myself. I don't feel I I don't want to grow my business to extreme levels. I I want to have the time and attention to take care of my clients. Yeah. And it's it's I feel kind of like that Lamborghini posting that's been going around on Instagram is how come you don't post or try to sell your cars or whatever. And and they said, because, because our clients or customers are not on social media. Yeah. (laughs) And that's how I feel too. I want to, I want to gain some, some clients in real life that I can be a part of their life. Because when you're coaching, it's not like we have a 20, 30 minute session, you work out and you leave. It's when we sign that contract, it's we're agreeing to a certain degree to be part of each other's lives, right? Yeah. When you're hurting, I'm the one you call. When you want to do something different than when we discussed, you call me first. We go over your goals. We figure out why the behavior or the actions that you're taking are not in line with the goals that we discussed, the goals that we set for you. Yeah. So I want to put my heart and soul, you can say, into helping people. And I want to give them the time that they deserve to get what they want out of life. Well, absolutely. Which includes health and fitness. Yeah, definitely. And okay. So how would you motivate yourself on a bad day? Mm. It just goes back to what we talked talked about earlier is there really a choice yeah i mean is it it's my responsibility to take care of my body yeah not for me but just the the meaningful relationships that i have in my life yeah what about them it's there's no choice there's really no other way it's it's the habits that I've developed in connection with health and fitness to keep me going on the bad days. Yeah. And okay. I'm going to give you some sporting questions now. So this is a, a new section on my podcast. Okay. Okay. So this, these are some questions that I've written up and uh, sporting debates. So do you believe in the next few years that MMA will overtake boxing as a business? I think it kind of already has as an idea. Yeah. Okay. But obviously in the background of MMA, there's some disputes about pay, you know, the the fighters aren't getting paid as much as boxers. So Mm -hmm. I think what, how to determine that is when MMA fighters will 
getting paid more or less the same as boxers, it would be the business would grow then, mm-hmm. you believe? Well, well, you know, MMA is there's a lot of variety to that sport. It's something totally different than boxing. There's so many different variables to that. And I think that's what makes it appealing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why eventually people are going to have to respect the athletes and give them the compensation that they deserve. The training alone is way more, in my opinion, vigorous than boxing is. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I I listened to an interview of the woman's champion for UFC, a Joe Rogan podcast. She, he interviewed her. And just to hear her speak about what her training regimen is, she she goes down to this this club or this gym to do some boxing. Then she goes to this other gym. She practices her wrestling. She goes to this other gym. She practices her kickboxing. And, and to walk through her day, I'm like, I'm tired just listening to her speak about her routine. And, yeah. and you know, obviously – you know, majority of MMA fighters, they aren't all professional, so they're actually doing that part-time. So they've got a part-time job as well, doing that on top. So that's mm. a long day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, okay, so this this is one of the questions that we touched on earlier um, about steroids. So... Mm. Your take should steroids be legalized and monetized? No, no. I mean, look at the people dying and bodybuilding. I mean, how many times have we seen it in the news within the last 30 days? Yeah, and no, it's irresponsible to use something to alter your body because yeah. it alters your mind too. No, absolutely. And, you know, this touches on the next one. So if someone has been found guilty of steroid use, if they were competing at, you know, the Olympic Games or powerlifting, should they be stripped of that title? I think it depends on the circumstances of what they were using and what the rules of the board are in relation to that. Does does it merit? suspension or does it merit total removal from the organization i think it should be a case-by-case basis in the organization i competed if you were caught with something in your bloodstream during your drug test then you were put on a wall of shame okay and it's still online is that right? you go on their website you can see who abused drugs wow and so, I mean, that's an extreme way of doing it. I don't know if I would take that route, but I mean, there's several things that go on, but I think, like I said, it should be a case by case basis. It should depend on who the athlete is, what they used. And I, I don't think there should be like a total draconian or hard, fast law on if you did that, you're out. Yeah. And could it be like, okay, well, you have a year suspension. Yeah. Is it a minor offense? What, how much was it in their bloodstream? Yeah. Okay. And there's, there should be a lot of considerations because an athlete 
what's going on in their mind? Why did they do it? I mean, there should be psychiatric evaluations. Why did they do it? Were they afraid they weren't going to win? Were they pressured? Were, was it a blatant violation? Yeah, there's, there's so many questions, you know. What, mm-hmm. Was it blackmail for a bet, etc.? You know, mm-hmm. it could be so much. So many things. Yeah. And there should be a hearing. Yeah. On it. Is the athletes should be able to defend themselves. Oh, totally. And what's your take on participation trophies, especially in. Oh, um, get rid of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> get rid of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'm so. Oh, I went to my sister's house about a month ago. She lives over by the beach. Okay. So I go there just sometimes to read a good book and just relax and have a couple beers, man. Yeah. And take my books and her husband's son is in hockey. He's a teenager, a 14. Plays hockey. This guy is good, man. It's good. I'm inspired by this young man. He's so good that the organization limited him to three goals per game. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, and to see him play now, to see him hold back. Because he was single-handedly winning the games, man. Yeah. It wasn't fair to everyone else. That really gets me going, man. Yeah. What is the future of athletics if this is where we're going? Yeah. What's the future of athletics when we got Karens complaining that their boy isn't able to score a goal because some other boy is bigger and better than he is? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's that old, you know, the cliche that, you know, the, the parents are moaning, oh, my boy's been on the bench for you know, the last two matches, etc. Well, he hasn't worked hard enough in training. (laughs) So what? Get better, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Get better. Improve. That's what competition's about, right? Yeah. You know, and it's the same and, you know, running as well. You know, it's a case of, you know, you'll get participation medals, but it's, you know, serious competition. It should be first, second, and third. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like uh, David Chappelle. Now, what was it, David Chappelle? It was, um, who's that guy? Jack, Jeff Foxworthy. He had, a, he had a comedy skit. He was traveling around the good old days. And he made a comment. He goes, in the good old days, you only got a trophy for first place. <laughs> It's interesting, and it was funny. Everybody laughed because it's true. And he called that the good old days, like there's something wrong with our society now. And it was hilarious because it's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that, that that question could go on all night, you know. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. There's so many ifs and buts. So for yourself, David, what advice would you give to anyone starting their fitness journey for the first time? 
Well, if you're starting a health and fitness program, just, just think and be mindful. Am I really making a choice to become better? Am I really making a free decision? Am, am I stripping everything else out of my decision and making a free independent choice to improve my life? That's the first step. Next is you have to understand that there's there's going to be a learning part to this there's going to be a part where you're going to have to gather information you're going to have to learn how to work out you're going to have to learn what proper nutrition is you're going to have to understand macronutrients all that is part of the process and and my strong advice in the learning process or the information part is avoid influencers that are just trying to sell you something. If you're learning from somebody, make sure you're learning the truth. And yeah. be smart about that, because in my opinion, the more accurate the knowledge you are taking in, the more you're going to be inspired and motivated to participate in the process. If you're avoiding things that are untrue. And that's going to give you the trust. That's going to give you the confidence that you need to keep going in this uh, fitness thing. And after you gain this con conscious or this confidence, you're going to see that you're going to start being dedicated and committed to this because you're participating in it and because what you're learning is the truth. And then you're going to be you're going to be in a great place once you develop that commitment. And then you're going to see, you're going to be starting to factor discipline into that. But I would say the biggest hurdles are in the beginning is, is making a, a proper decision to do it and, and learning process. Those are the two biggest hurdles. I think that an individual is going to struggle with when they first start a fitness program. Oh, fantastic, David. And just before we round up, if people want to reach out to you regarding your, you know, your, your coaching, can they do that online? If, have you got? But yeah, it's I. My Instagram is CMT Strong, CMT Strong, and CMT Strong at Yahoo.com. That's my email, and I really don't have a big advertising or marketing for this because, like I said. My goal is to not have my clients on social media yeah, yeah. because okay. I want to work with people that are truly want to make a change yeah. in their life. And if uh, they're game, I'm game. You're committed. I'm committed. Let's go. Fantastic, David. And just before we round up, do you have any questions for myself? Uh, no, man. I'm, I think we had a great conversation. I'm, I'm really uh, happy with our discussion and I appreciate you inviting me. To, to have a conversation with you, Scott. No, you're very welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you.